Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very senior professional from Hong Kong, Mr. Matt Friedman. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Matt is the Chief Executive Officer of the Mekong Club. He's an international expert on human trafficking. He's working to eliminate all forms of modern slavery. And he's an author. And all of you know I'm very partial to authors. He's an author of 12 books. So Matt, let's talk about the Mekong Club. Tell me okay. about this venture and what was your motivation to start it? So the Mekong Club is an organization that works with the private sector in a positive, supportive, non-naming and shaming way to help them to understand the issue of modern slavery and what they need to do in order to address it. Hmm. So we work with the banks because the profits generated from modern slavery are $150 billion. If any of that money gets into a legitimate bank, hmm. it's money. We work right. with the manufacturers and the retailers because they have supply chains. Yeah. It could be sweatshops along the way. So we want them to understand it. We work with the hotel industries because sex trafficking could play out in the hotels. Mm. So we do this by raising awareness, helping them to understand the issue. And then if they run into problems, we help them to sort it out. So before I go any further, Matt, uh, for my viewers and listeners, help me understand the meaning of modern slavery and uh, what exactly does it encompass? Okay, let me, let me give you a couple of examples and that will kind of give you a general sense. Mm. Uh, a young girl is tricked into a situation where she's taken away from her community and mm. forced into a brothel. Mm. She then has to have sex with 8, 10, 12, 15 guys a day, every day. She can't mm. leave. She's held in place. So in this particular case, there's a lack of freedom. Person can't leave the situation. They don't get paid mm. and they're held in place. So we hear a lot about sex trafficking, but there's also la labor trafficking. Mm. This is where, let's say, a 15-year-old boy is told that he can go on a boat and the boat's going to go out for a couple of months. He'll catch some fish. Everything's going to be great. He goes on the boat, but the boat stays out for four years. This mm -hmm. kid will end up working 17, 18 hours a day. If he doesn't, he gets beaten. He gets tortured. The only food he eats the entire time he's there is rice and fish. If he gets sick or if he gets uh, injured, they just throw him off the side of the boat. Another example, there are 50 million people estimated to be in what we call modern slavery. And again, the characteristics are not just exploitation, it's about a person not being able to leave the situation, forced to work, doesn't get paid, mm. and it happens all over the world. Mm. Wow. And is this something that is there all over the world or is it uh, specific to some regions or is that economics a major factor? Um, basically, you find it in every country in the world. India actually has the largest number of people in this situation, about 18 million people. Wow. But even the United States, it's estimated to be up to a million people. You see it in the UK, you see it in Japan, you see it in China. Every country has its element. And it often includes forced prostitution and situations where, for example, a construction site or a sweatshop or mm. uh, you know, a domestic helper that's being exploited. You see this all over. In Asia, 62% of the 50 million people are in this part of the world, partly because the populations are so big. China, 1.4 billion people. India, one point close to 3 billion um, mm. people. And then you have Pakistan and Bangladesh yeah. and all these other countries have big populations. Mm. And the feudal systems that have been in place in this part of the world have never been completely 
dismantled. As a result of that, that's why we see so many people. Wow. And you just mentioned that out of 50 million, 18 million could be in India. That's correct. What is being done by uh, the government of India to be able to, you know, at least significantly reduce some a challenge like this? Well, before I talk about that specifically, let me talk about how many people were helped globally out of modern slavery, out of 50 million last, last mm. year. About 108,000 were helped out of 50 million. That's 0.2% of the victims right. being helped. So globally, you know, whether it's India or the United States or Canada or mm. anyone else, we're having no impact at all. Mm. And part of the reason for this is, again, the profits generated are $150 billion. Mm. Out of that, the, the amount of money that's used to fight this globally is about $350 million U.S., which is 0.23% of the profits. Mm. So huge profits small number of uh, dollars that are available to address mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. The other thing, the, the people like me who work in India and in Asia and around the world is somewhere between 20 and 30,000 of us mm -hmm. against the half million greed incentivized criminals. You know, the last thing is general awareness is very low. Most people mm -hmm. don't know that there's 50 million people in modern slavery. Right. You don't know about an issue, you're not going to care about it. If you don't care, you're not going to do anything. But back to the Indian government, the Indian government has tried to raise awareness and to help people to understand the issue. Mm. But one of the biggest problems is that when migrants get into this kind of a situation and they mm. come back to India, they lie about their experience. Mm. Why? Because they don't want to lose face. Correct. We see this all over Asia and Africa and Latin America. So you have a lot of people who come back, don't talk about their story. So other people are encouraged to want to go off and migrate as well. If you don't have that counter story in place, it's really mm. hard to kind of sensitize people to the issues and the problems of the world. Amazing. I mean, this is quite a frightening uh, things that you're talking about. But, mm -hmm. man, you know, you spoke about 50 million num uh, numbers. I understand that there are a massive number of unreported cases as well. Yes. What? Well, I mean, just... Go ahead, Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, please. Please go. Ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, you know, just, just to help people to understand how easy it is. Let's say that you're a rickshaw wallet in Bangladesh and you're making two US dollars a day and you're never going to make more than $2, but all of a sudden your wife needs $10 worth of medicine. Mm -hmm. The only way to save her is to borrow that. $10 mm -hmm. becomes $15. How is that person ever going to pay that back? That's mm -hmm. how easy it is for somebody to be controlled by somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you're right. 50 million is, is an underestimate because mm -hmm. all over the world, you have these scenarios where indebtedness holds a person in place mm. and somebody else can control them afterwards. Mm. And at at what stage or how does the Mekong group step in and provide support? Well, there's legislation around the world that basically says if you're a big company and you're working in the United States or the UK or Australia or various other locations, you have to put on your website what you're doing to address modern slavery. Okay. You have to fill out a report that describes what you're actually doing, and that has to be signed by the board of directors. Mm. As a result of that, companies are incentivized in order to understand this issue, mm. because if an investigative journalist finds this in their supply chain or in their bank, it can have a devastating impact. Mm. For example, there was a bank in Australia that was fined $1.3 billion Australian dollars because they allowed online sexual exploitation of children. Um, kind of uh, taping to take place. They wow. were warned about it. They didn't do anything about it. And they mm. had this fine. If a large brand finds that, uh, you know, they are named and shamed in a newspaper, it has a mm. devastating impact on that particular uh, organization. 
organization. And, you know, I've seen this, I've spoken to some other people who are also experts in the same area. Sorry. Uh, one of the things that I was uh, talking to uh, people, and I'm going to ask you the same question. You gave me the example of the rickshawala in Bangladesh, and there are people like that in every part of Asia. Yes. What recourse do parents have when it comes to a situation where the child is missing or the child has had to be forcibly sold off because of an economic reason? Um, well, actually, uh, I hear this often. Um, this family was so poor that they sold their children into mm. slavery. That sometimes happens, but not very often. Whether okay. you're rich or poor, you still okay. love your kids. Absolutely. You know, so, you know, I mean, so what often happens is families are uh, tricked and deceived into thinking that their mm. child is going to go off into something that mm. seems almost too good to be true. And oftentimes, if something is too good to be true, it usually mm. is mm. Uh, a problem. And so what is really important is to help sensitize people. Let, let me give you a concrete example. We were trying to do some um, safe migration work in Bangladesh, mm. and we gave lots of information. But what happened is this confused a lot of the villagers. Mm. So we brought in a, a, an advertising company, and they did focus groups and to find out what is one message that they can tell the community to protect their kids. And then they came to us and said, they said, this is the message. Mm. If somebody comes in and says they have this great job in India and you're their son or daughter is going to go mm. and they're going to get taken away and they're going to make lots of money. And it sounds too good to be true. And you can't say no, because if it's real, it's such a great thing. Mm. Don't say no, say yes, mm. but say that you're going to send the family member along with them. If it's real, they won't care. Mm. If it's not real, it'll evaporate. Mm. So we tra trained a bunch of villages on this, went back to them and they said, aha, 60% of the time when we said we were going to send a family member, it disappeared. Mm. And so we now know that this was something wrong with that particular, because there's no reason why it should have happened that way. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. You also mentioned to me that, uh, you know, the government is beginning to play a little role, but there's also a bigger role of society. And society yes. is a microcosm of what the government can possibly do. Yes. Uh, what... <clears throat> has been your experience of societies or communities helping to protect their own uh, children? Well, you know, I mean, when you, I, I post on LinkedIn, I have a large audience in India and I get a lot of people who will say, oh my gosh, that's so sad. It's terrible. I wish there was something that I could do. And often in my posts, I respond to say, yes, there are things that you can do. Mm. One thing is to learn about the issue and educate other people. If you see an article in a newspaper, share it on uh, social networking. Mm. Talk about this. Talk to your kids about this. Mm. Another thing you can do is volunteer. There's a lot of organizations in India um, that basically are working to help address this issue. Sometimes they need people to help with social networking, with uh, basic management, uh, awareness raising, uh, fundraising, all kinds of other things. And, you know, actually, my youngest volunteer was nine years old. Wow. This girl saw me in a documentary. She contacted me and said, Mr. Friedman, I want to help. Mm. I said, you're nine years old. She said, so what? I said, you're nine years old. She said, nine-year-olds are the new 16-year-olds. What is it that I can do? I said, okay, well, I'll give you a try. Oh. So there were some things that I needed mm. 
off the internet that my second year uh, Ivy League uh, law students couldn't find. I gave it to this nine-year-old girl and she found it in about two days because that was her gift. Mm. So if you identify what you're good at, whether it's public speaking or writing or selling t-shirts, it doesn't matter. Apply mm. that to volunteering and it makes a difference. The other thing is basic fundraising. COVID devastated many of the organizations, the NGOs that are working on this. Mm. The money is diverted to other things. And as a result of that, at a time when 50 million people are in modern slavery, probably about 25% of the organizations that are out there just don't have any funding. Giving money to the right organizations really does make a difference. So there are things that you can do, society can do. Mm. And I just say one other thing. Yeah. Remember that sensational rape case in India, the 24-year-old? Yeah. Mm. All of a sudden, the entire culture rose up and they protested and they changed laws and they insisted. I'm waiting for the day when that happens with human trafficking, mm. not in India, but in the world, mm. because what we're talking about here is so egregious, so terrible, so yeah. horrible. Uh, a 12 year old girl being forced to be with 10 guys a day for five years. You know, that's just that's just that's inherently wrong. It is four point eight million women and girls in that situation around the world. That has to stop. Hmm. Wow. And uh, given the size of the problem, can technology be used to be able to monitor and uh, ensure safety for a lot of these girls or, or girls and boys? Well, I'll answer that two ways. Number one, a lot of the grooming for you know, victimization comes from social network platforms. Mm. And so it's really important to have parents talk to their children mm. and not engage with people, especially people who just seem like they're perfect. Mm. They're so nice. They're so sweet. They offer all kinds of admiration and so forth. That could be not a 15-year-old boy on the other end. It could be a 55-year-old guy with six computers open, and he's grooming a number of people to eventually take advantage of them. Mm. The other is just in terms of tech, I'll just use this as a prop. Uh, in the Macon Club, we had our retailers and our manufacturers say, we need an app so that if an auditor goes into a factory mm. and there's all of these migrants from other countries, they don't even know where they come from, mm. they can communicate with them. So on the front of the phone, there would be flags the auditor goes up to the migrant, gets them to press the flag from where they come from. And then mm -hmm. in their language with headphones on, it'll say, we're going to ask you some questions. If the answer to the question is yes, press green, no press red. Mm -hmm. Are you being exploited? Do you have freedom of movement? Uh, are you indebted? Mm -hmm. So as a result of this technology, you can increase victim identification by 25% simply by using a, a simple tool like this. That's just one example. Amazing, amazing. The other aspect of, of trafficking is culture. Yes. You know, there are certain cultures in the world uh, where girls, uh, you know, don't get the same kind of support that boys do. Yes. Right. Uh, how important is culture to manage a lot of these challenges of human trafficking? Well, I've been to in places in South Asia where you ask how many kids there are and they only count the boys. Correct. You know, or uh, you we've all heard the saying that, you know, um, you know, supporting your daughter in education is like watering somebody else's lawn because she's okay. going to go someplace else. So obviously these cultural things uh, create a bias toward, you know, people being concerned about, uh, mm. you know, what happens to these girls. 
The other terrible thing, and I see it all over Asia, in South Asia, Southeast Asia, is that if a girl gets tricked and deceived and forced into prostitution, mm. she's often blamed for this, mm. even though she had nothing to do with it. Right. And oftentimes the family don't accept her back. Mm. So, uh, you know, here you have a person who's an absolute victim, didn't do anything wrong, but all of a sudden she's in a situation where she, nobody will take her. So she ends up spending the rest of her life in a, in a brothel. She'll get AIDS, she'll get a disease, she'll eventually die and so forth. So that unforgiveness that goes along with cultures is mm -hmm. is is a terrible thing. I, I again, I'll use another Bangladesh experience. There was a girl. She was kidnapped. She was used in Calcutta for probably two weeks. We rescued her. We got her back to Bangladesh. But the family found out, and the community found out. And so you have the father and the mother and all the kids lined up, and the victim with a couple of NGO people. She wanted to just run up and give her father and mom a, a hug, and they said, "Sorry, you you can't stay here." These are your brothers and sisters are never going to get married. You're going to bring shame. She says, I didn't do anything. doesn't matter. You know, you know, for whatever reason this happened, karma or whatever it is that it, that it was. And as a result of that, you know, you brought shame to the family. So, you know, it was just as a parent watching, you could see that the father and mother loved their daughter, but the culture wouldn't allow them. Society to and accept culture that. wouldn't. It's just a terrible, terrible situation. Yeah. Amazing. One more question, Matt, before I move to your books. Uh, all the, you know, you gave me the example of one young girl who you rescued from Calcutta and took her back to Bangladesh. But what is the kind of support rescued uh, individuals need uh, to be able to reintegrate them with society? And how are you supporting them? Well, I mean, um, <clears throat> actually in India, and I've worked in India many, many, many years uh, on and off, you have a lot of organizations that basically take in rescued victims, they uh, give them health care, counseling, education. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they do everything they can to basically uh, reintegrate them into the world. Mm -hmm. Now, in Nepal, when I was working there, a certain percentage of the girls got AIDS and they just didn't survive the experience. If you don't have the medication, you won't you won't su survive. And so there are, but but there are a lot of very compassionate, caring uh, individuals and organizations that do everything they can to basically help address uh, victimization. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, supporting those types of organizations is an important part of the process. Mm. Interesting. So now let me move to your books. You're an author of 12 books. Tell me about your latest book and some of the others as well. Well, the latest one is called Dancing in the Light of the Moon. It's a mm -hmm. novel based in India. Okay. And uh, and I wrote a novel because sometimes people like to learn about an issue based on characters that they can follow. So I interviewed about 450 people who were in trafficking situation and I created a mosaic of characters based on, on these real life interviews and then put it into this novel. Hmm. It's done quite well. It's uh, it's. Uh, something that I've, uh, I, I feel really strongly about because, again, some people learn through didactic, some people through podcasts, some people through, you know, drama. This is just one way of addressing it. Fascinating. Another and book this... is uh, Where Were You? A Profile of Modern Slavery. This is kind of a textbook on uh, what is human trafficking. It addresses the 35 years of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly related to my career, the failures, the the successes, what worked, what didn't work. And a lot of organizations use this in order to help understand the context of human mm. trafficking, the size of human trafficking, the trends in human trafficking, some of the 
interventions that work and don't work in human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And the last one that I'll just mention is a book called Be the Hero, Be the Change. Mm -hmm. This is a book on volunteerism. You know, uh, when it comes to human trafficking, I said less than 0.2% of the victims were helped. Mm -hmm. But if you look at education and poverty and global warming and everything else, we're still at less than 10%. For the world to be able to make a difference, Mm -hmm. we as human beings, as you know, uh, general public people have to step up and get involved in addressing these issues. So the book right. encourages people. All of the proceeds of these books go to help address the issues themselves. Mm. So it's both to create awareness and to raise money as well. Fascinating. So I'm going to ask all my viewers and listeners to go and check out your latest book, Dancing in the Light of the Moon. I'm sure it's available on Amazon. I will go and check it, it out. Is. And please it do is. check out Matt Friedman's book, Dancing in the Light of the Moon. Uh, Matt, my last question to you, uh, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. Based on your amazing journey and all the great work that you're doing, what would you say are three lessons or three learnings that you would want our viewers and listeners to take away? One is uh, identify your cause. Mm -hmm. We don't pick our causes, our causes pick us. For me, it's human trafficking. For you, it may be something else. Once you have identified it, mm. then I commit yourself to doing something for the yeah. world to heal post-COVID, for the world to, you know, address hunger and poverty and education, and everything else, we all need to take as a part of that. Now, there's very little in the world that encourages people to be a part of the solution. Mm. But I think that this is the next big revolution, that we as human beings have to accept some responsibility. We mm. breathe the air, we use the resources, we get the education, the infrastructure, we have to be a part of the solution. Mm. Once you have kind of accepted that responsibility, Mm. surrender to the fact that you're going to do something. Stop listening to those voices in your head that say, I'm too busy, or what do I have to offer? It's going to take too much of my time, and actually just do something. Mm. You know, Nike's comment, just do it, is a theme that we should all follow. Mm. And if that just means doing two or three or four things a year, even if it's just a couple of hours, if 10 million people did that, that that would add up to something quite big. So my clarion call is that we as human beings have to begin to accept responsibility for healing the world. And we can all play that part. And that's and and that's exactly what you do in your podcast. That's your Mm -hmm. philosophy as well. We share the same philosophy because that's why you're doing what you do. And that's your contribution. What is somebody else's contribution to this process? Wonderful. Thank you. And on that note, Matt, and your three lessons, identify your cause, commit yourself to doing something, be a part of the solution. And third, I love the third one, which is the Nike line of just do it, do something about it. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me about the Mekong Club, about modern slavery. Some of the statistics you gave me is so stark that I'm definitely going to now go and read up a little more on this incredibly challenging problem the world faces. Thank you for talking to me about human trafficking. Thank you for also giving me some amazing examples, which I think would have shocked me. uh, And I'm sure will shock a lot of our listeners and hopefully many, many more people will in some way or the other try and support the cause of the Mekong Club. Thank you again and good luck. Well, thank you very much. And you're a great host. You 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 asked all the right questions in the right order and you have such a great style. And it was a pleasure to be on your podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Brand Called You videocast and podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom 
of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.